I'm Tina Tang, an equities trader turned jewelry designer turned strength coach for women over 40. This podcast is my survival guide to health over 40, where I'll share things I wish my mom had told me, and where I'll interview experts to give us guidance about aging well. Check in every week for my newest episode. New York and New Jersey friends, save the date, July 15th, for a very special workshop, Everything Your Mother Didn't Tell You About Menopause. I'll be co-hosting this with Dr. Melanie Yanez, and our panelists will include a menopause-certified gynecologist, a pelvic floor physical therapist, and a menopause-specialized nutritionist. I will be moderating the questions, asking everything that I wish my mom had shared with me. The event will be held at Serendipity Loft in downtown Jersey City from 1 to 3 p.m. on July 15th. More details to come about how to book a ticket. Welcome. Today I've got Amparo Penny, who is a licensed therapist and health and mindset coach based out of Asheville, North Carolina. Amparo helps people stop obsessing about food and their body and create health habits for life. She got into this work after a 20-plus year battle of her own with disordered eating, yo-yo dieting, and using exercise as punishment. Yes. Did I forget anything, Amparo? Does that sound about right? That's about right. Yes. Hi, Tina. Fantastic. Hi. Let's go straight into it. Because the idea of thinking about food and diets and uh, exercising becomes a very uh, a norm in someone's life where it it might take up a lot of their thoughts. Can you yeah. talk about how one might benefit from breaking free from this kind of thought process? Yeah, well, um, so yeah, you had mentioned that I had a 20 plus year, so I'm in my mid 40s um, and I'm in menopause, which is obviously why I was drawn um, to your podcast because it resonates with me. Um, and so, yeah, I've had a I guess, 25 year um, relationship with um, probably disordered eating practices. And so I call it a relationship on purpose because it, it has its high points and its low points. And I would always call it my, my dark passenger where, you know, we, we fought and, you know, I obviously loved it and I hated it at the same time. And so um, I literally, knew that I had to end this unhealthy relationship. And so finally, I, I, when I broke up with it, I actually found a whole lot of freedom in it. And so, um, you know, the benefit of ending a relationship with, with diet culture to me is just is freedom because I kind of just get like my life back. I get like the flexibility and thinking back. Um, because a lot of, of what I experienced with, um, with diet culture and dieting was just black and white thinking, you know, kind of all or nothing thinking where everything is really good or everything is really bad. And so mm-hmm. like labeling food as either, you know, good food or bad food, healthy food or unhealthy food, um, without giving a lot of wiggle room, um, for the in-between. And, and what I found was that like, if I ate something that I labeled good, I would then internalize that and say, oh, well, I ate well, therefore I am a rock star. I'm on top of the world. And then if I ate something that I labeled bad, well, then I felt, you know, I felt horrible because I ate something bad. And so then I internalized it. And then that kind of led me down this little shame spiral. And so because I internalized those messages, and then I also found that other people did the same, you know, when we internalize those messages that I ate something bad, we then feel like a whole lot of guilt and shame. Um, and then we just start to kind of like, keep those messages and we start to feel bad because we ate something bad and Mm -hmm. you know who who needs to be carrying around those kinds of messages and so when we kind of like literally free ourselves of those messages we literally get to free ourselves of those internal messages that we are that we are good or bad people because 
food doesn't determine our worth, you know, and our size doesn't determine our worth. I'm worthy regardless of my size or regardless of what I eat. And so I finally started to like basically untangle those messages and realize that, you know, my weight literally has gone up and gone down, you know, due to childbirth and other things in my life. And, and yet my worth and my value as a person that hasn't changed, you know, and that was one of the main messages that I got out of it is that regardless of what I ate and regardless of how I looked, I am still I'm still valuable and I'm still important. And so like learning how to separate that from dieting and diet culture, I think was one of like the most important messages was just that freedom to just be me regardless of what I ate or how I looked. Not letting, and the the scale would be a same, another example where it will set the tone for some people. Right. Yeah. It used to ruin my day. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It would ruin my whole week. Like, oh my gosh, the scale went up five pounds. The week Mm -hmm. was ruined. Well, you know, it's just a measure of gravity now that I've finally realized that my worth isn't determined by that anymore. In talking about that, maybe can you cover some of the examples, you know, that you see uh, when working with clients, examples of food and body issues, the, the black and white thinking, um, different ways. It's not always just like this food is good or bad, but there are other things that people do that have the same final outcome of like this thing is good or bad, or these two extremes. What are some things that that you see that are common that maybe some of the listeners can identify with? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest things I've noticed is um, like, especially when it comes to dieting, because, you know, there's a reason why we say that diets don't work. Um, When we say diets don't work, there's obviously a few more words that they leave out. Um, Short term restrictive diets don't work because they're short term and they're restrictive. And so, usually what a lot of people will do, and I also did it too, is that they will cut out food groups, like entire food groups, because I'm a product of the 90s. And so, you know, there was the low fat craze. Um, My dad went on the South Beach diet. And so it was all about, you know, um, low carb and low South Beach was low carb um, and high fat. I can't remember. I get confused with all the diets, um, but, you know, eliminating low carb or eliminating um, low fat back in the 90s. Now it's all And that's where fat. the snack wells became really oh big. Oh my too. gosh, the snack wells. Even yes. though I ate the entire box thinking, yes. well, you know, they're low fat, right? So who yes. cares? That didn't work. Um, but yeah, just eliminating, like, I think I went, um, my poor husband could tell you, he's like, what are you not eating right now? Because he did all the cooking. And so I was like, okay, no, no white potatoes, no white rice, no, um, no white bread. I was cutting out like everything. And he's like, well, what can I cook for you? And I was like, uh, salmon and and Greek yogurt. It had to be all protein. And so this poor guy was like only making just these little tiny things that I could eat. And that's not sustainable. And so again, like when they say that diets don't work, well, there's a reason why diets don't work because they're very restrictive and they're very, um, they're very like, they, they eliminate like so many food groups and that's actually just not enjoyable. And so I remember when I was like cutting out like all of these food groups of things that I actually enjoyed, I was miserable because mm-hmm. I call it, um, I call it the toddler, the inner toddler. I would notice that my inner toddler would kick in because when I would say you can't have sugar or you can't have bread, well, the inner toddler was like, well, that's the one thing in the world that I would want. And so, of course, because I cut all that stuff out, 
well, guess what would happen? I would go from one extreme to the opposite end. So when I would restrict something, my inner toddler would kick in and it would say, oh, hell no. And then I would Mm -hmm. go on a binge. And so I would go from the restriction. Oh yeah. I would go from the restriction all the way to the binge because I cut it out. And again, I wanted it so badly because I couldn't have it. Yeah. So I would go to the binge end. And so again, going from one extreme to the total opposite end. And then I just kept going back and forth because I never had that middle ground. Um, And so I just kept staying in that binge restrict cycle because I was going from one extreme to the other. And I never put it together that it was because I was cutting out those food groups. and so again, was your thought process with, during that time? And I think most people, they're like, oh, I've yeah. just been really bad. And then, oh, right. I've been good. Yeah. I've been bad. I've been good. Well, in, um, in intuitive eating, they actually call it last supper eating. Um, and so they, they say that like, and again, that inner toddler, they say that when you know that you're about to cut that thing out, you want to get it all in real fast because the next day you know that you're going to eat clean and you're going to be perfect or you know that you've already eaten all the chips and you're like, well, let me just go ahead and clean out the pantry because tomorrow or Monday I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to start clean. I'm going to start over. And then the cycle just keeps perpetuating itself. And I stayed in that binge restrict cycle. I don't know, four or five years of just mm-hmm. going round and around. And I kept gaining and losing the same 10, 15 pounds. And I just, I didn't know why is this so hard? <laughs> like, yeah, I was doing all of like the quote unquote right things. I was exercising, I was dieting, I was like taking diet pills. I was doing all of like the, what I thought was the right thing. And I just couldn't figure out why I would like get right to like the edge of like the last 10 pounds. And then I would like sabotage myself. And it really Mm -hmm. was just that binge and restrict cycle back and forth, back and forth. And that was that. Is that common also also with uh, clients that you uh, work with so that people know it's like that a lot of people go through this for periods of time? Yeah, I see it a lot um, because a lot of people think that the answer is restriction and the answer is um, short term intense restriction. And I thought that was the answer too. like you have to hit it fast. You got to mm-hmm. lose 12 pounds in three weeks. Or people and call it kickstart. Re- they want to kickstart right, their weight right. loss. Boot camp. Yeah. You know, yep. kickstart this weight loss. Um, and I realized that that actually was the opposite of what I needed to do. Slow and steady, I realized, was the way to go. I'm sure some people listening might think that it's they don't have an issue uh, when it comes to food. But can you talk about how even exercising, how some people go two, three hours a day or uh, without rest thinking, I don't have a problem with food. I just exercise. Yes, because I also did that as well. (laughs) Back when, um, back when I was in college, yeah, I thought, um, again, we kind of back in the nineties, back in the whole diet culture era, we, you know, cardio, cardio, cardio. Um, And so I just kept thinking more is better. Um, And so therefore I thought I needed to just do more of what I was doing. And the answer, if I did more, well, then I would just burn more calories. Um, And so, yeah, I would spend about three or four hours. um, Wow. I I would break it up. Actually, let me correct that. I would break it up. I would start the day at my house and I would, I would box at my house and then I, um, but still at the end of the day, working out three, three or four hours. Yeah. I would go to the YMCA where I worked, I worked out there and then I'd work out in the evening. And so it would tally up to a lot. And again, I thought more, more was the answer. Um, because again, that's what, 
all of the diet ads were saying is, you know, more cardio, more cardio and, and Mm -hmm. don't eat. So it was that weird imbalance of 1200 calories of restriction and then lots of cardio is what um, we were being told by the media and by all Mm -hmm. of these influencers and stuff. And obviously it was not, it was not the right formula. Maybe from a psychological standpoint, could you talk about how just dealing with this restriction with exercise versus food, how it's similar or different? Some people might be like, I don't have a food issue. I, you know, exercise is not bad. Some some (laughs) people might, that's what I mean. Well, I, I would probably hedge a guess that obsession is obsession is obsession Mm -hmm. Um, because I tended to obsess about either. Um, If I wasn't thinking about food, I was thinking about how many calories am I burning when Mm -hmm. I'm exercising. Um, And, you know, the people that I was hanging out with at the gym back in the day, and, you know, even some of my current clients, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with like the rise of Fitbit, I was really into the Fitbit, you know, when it came out, and I was doing all like the Fitbit challenges, which I think they have started to like, taper down off of. Um, But I remember I was in some Fitbit challenges with a couple of people who were literally getting 100,000 steps a day. What? Yes. Which meant they were literally exercising for about five or six hours a day because the Fitbit challenges, they were actually encouraging that. They were, you know, because they were giving you, um, Uh, what do you call them, little rewards for getting 100,000 steps a day. And I was in these challenges with people. Tina, I was literally waking up at like three in the morning so that I could get 50,000 steps a day. I know I'm ashamed and a little embarrassed. And yet I got swept up in that Fitbit craze. I dropped a whole lot of weight. It was not the right way to do it. I was just burning calories. It was just not the right way to do it, though. Um, and yet Fitbit because was kind you of have like to... pushing it. Yeah. yeah. It was not the right way because in order to maintain that weight, you would have to continue doing the same thing. Yeah. And you'd have to get up early and just mm-hmm. exercise for hours to get 100,000 steps. And yeah. so finally, I literally had to like get rid of my Fitbit, get off of all of those Facebook groups and like yeah. walk away from that community because I realized like I'm getting swept back into that mindset mm-hmm. and I could feel myself kind of getting sucked back into like that old way. And I was like, I can't, yeah. I can't go back there. So I literally yeah. had to like get out. Um so yeah. Can you give an um, example of, I think, uh, maybe some case studies of people that you work with now, which have, which reflect some of these similar struggles? With like the food issues? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. Um, I've got this one lady that I've been working with that um, we've just started working on some of these issues. And, and I'm really actually excited because she's she's kind of absorbing some of this um, some of this material that I've been working with. Um, so we just started talking, for example, uh, she started using. Uh, am I allowed to use any of the diet names or should I just oh yeah to- I'm okay oh no it's it's fine <laughs> okay so she started Weight Watchers um mm-hmm. and I had kind of cautioned her about you know just you know let's be mindful about um you know cutting out food groups and so I was kind of telling her about like the inner toddler and everything and um she mentioned that her thing was pretzels like her her go-to food was pretzels for example and she said that she'll like have a bag of pretzels by her desk that she just she'll just keep grabbing and grabbing and grabbing um, and so that was her her snack that she just she just loves to snack on. And she's like, that's it. No more pretzels. I'm cutting out pretzels. And I was like, well, are you going to be miserable if you cut out pretzels? Because I was telling her 
you know, that you can either look at this as a diet that has a start and a stop date, because that's what a diet is, or we can look at this as the rest of your life, because that's kind of where I was trying to get her to go. And I said, are you saying that you're going to give up pretzels for the rest of your life? And she was like, oh, no, no, this is just for now. And I was like, oh, so this is a diet. And she was like, oh, oh, I don't want to do that. And so then she decided that she wanted to replace the pretzels with like edamame because she still wanted that crunch. And I said, well, that's that's also a great idea. And I said, and yet you're still not eating your pretzels because you love pretzels. And I was like, how about we find a way instead of black or white thinking, instead of never having pretzels, how about we find a way to still allow you to have some pretzels because that's what you really want without cutting them out entirely. And she, she really like, she did not think that it was possible. She kind of fought back and forth with me. Oh, I just can't have pretzels. No, they cannot be in my house. If I have one pretzel, it's over. And I was like, well, what if you bought the snack pack instead of the big bag? And she had actually never thought of that. And so she was like, well, maybe, maybe I will go get the snack packs. Um, And so we just kind of are starting to work on some ideas of like how she can still have pretzels instead of just eliminating them from her diet. Because again, that's all or nothing cutting them out. Because I told her, like, if you cut out the pretzels, your inner toddler is going to be like pretzels. That's all I want. She was like, Oh yeah, you're right. So we're still working on like how to still incorporate what I call like the shades of gray and still allow pretzels, just not the big bag, maybe a smaller bag um, so that she can still have them and not feel deprived. What's, what are, what's uh, some other strategies that um, you work on with clients in trying to break the just that black and white thinking in the various ways that it manifests? Well, one of the, one of the biggest ways is helping people to realize, and this is a hard one, um, helping people to realize that food in, in, in the grand scheme of things, food actually is a neutral thing and and yet it ha- cuz it has a function like food mm-hmm. just is um it's not really good and it's not really bad if you really think about it it just it just is and and it has a function to it so like even birthday cake for example has a function um it has a celebratory function right and so we eat birthday cake for a reason um we don't eat birthday cake every day because it has a function it has a purpose you know to be a celebratory kind of food and so realizing that if we can kind of, instead of label foods as good or bad and just see them as like a neutral thing, um, which is a huge, uh, I know that what I'm saying is obviously much easier said than done. Um, And yet if we can kind of see it as a neutral thing, then we can try to see, okay, if it's just neutral, then maybe I can look at when as opposed to what. So like when is a better or more effective time of the day? So like with my child, for example, I try to tell my child like sugar is not bad in in itself. And yet I probably am not going to have like carrot cake, for example, for breakfast, because carrot cake will probably make me fall asleep. um, Because of the simple sugar. So like looking at how food makes you feel as opposed to, is it good or bad? So like carrot Mm -hmm. cake will probably make me a little sleepy because it's like a simple sugar, whereas fruit is like a complex sugar and it'll get me lasting energy. So again, they're both sugar. Um, One isn't better than the other. It's just like the function and how it makes me feel. And so Mm -hmm. I'll probably choose to have like 
the fruit for breakfast when I need more energy. And then I'll probably save the carrot cake for like later in the day when I don't really care if my sugar crashes. And so Mm -hmm. like, that's what I'm trying to like teach my six-year-old is like, sugar is not bad. We just try to like choose when is like the time of the day to have certain types of food based on how it makes us feel after we eat it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. same with like carbs, like what kind of carbs are going to make you sluggish versus carbs that give you energy. So kind of using those tools to determine when is the best time to eat them as opposed to this is bad or this is good. What's a way you teach your clients to figure that out? Is it by keeping a journal of how the the food makes them feel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's some worksheets like the intuitive eating um, workbook that I studied with. Um, I can, I give them some of those worksheets. There's, um, it's called a satiety, um, a satiety worksheet that we use. So basically like how we look at the hunger and fullness cues, um, like Mm -hmm. how hungry are you and then how full are you? And then also how does the food make you feel after you eat? Like, are you gassy? Are you sluggish? Are you tired? Are you energized? Are you hyper? And kind of like recording that um, as like a homework assignment for, you know, a week or whatever, and let the person kind of figure out like, okay, what kind of foods have, you know, help me feel certain ways and then let them kind of determine, okay, these foods give me energy. These foods make me feel a little more sluggish. And therefore then they can kind of determine again, what's more appropriate for them um, in terms of the time of the day. I'm not a dietitian, So like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't like give them meal plans. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it's more about like what's right for your body um, and then they kind of determine, you know, how it feels for them. Uh, what's the strategy you use for helping someone? Is it the same, I guess, strategy, helping someone figure out breaking that binge restrict cycle, or whether it's because of yo-yo dieting or they just cut out food groups? Like, What's the first step you do for helping people, I guess, on that path of breaking free from that? Now that, I mean, that one, that one takes time. <laughs> so I, I absolutely that, can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's no like, right it depends on answer. the person. Mm-hmm. It depends on the person. And it's like, it's a mindset shift. And so like, one of the things I tell people to get out of black or white thinking is it's difficult. It takes time. Um, and it's a process because it's, it's kind of a whole lot of unlearning and then like relearning how to kind of have more flexible thinking. And so mm-hmm. like one of the, one of the first things I do with people just to get them started um, is I, I do like a really simple um, assignment is giving them an assignment to like literally practice using the word and and I know this sounds really simple. Um, I use the word and as opposed to using the word but. And there's a reason for that, because when we use the word but to describe like two things. So like if I tell my child, I love you, but I don't like what you said to mommy. Um, that word, but kind of negates the first half of what I just said. And so Mm -hmm. using that word and kind of ties those two statements together. And it actually comes from my clinical training um, as a dialectical behavior therapist. And so dialectics means holding two seemingly opposing truths at the same time. And so using that word and helps us tie those two seemingly opposing truths. So there's that black or white thinking, that word and kind of ties those two um, truths together. And so Mm -hmm. like, again, if you're um, using black or white thinking, like um, I just ate a pizza, but I'm, I'm really hungry, but I can't eat that pizza because I'm going to gain five pounds, you know, like using those two words, those two phrases, for example, instead of using the word, but 
we can combine them with the word and and say, I'm really hungry and I can have a couple of slices of pizza. You know, using that word and can combine those two phrases. And so like have and I have a couple of worksheets that I give to people. And so just using that word and can kind of help them start practicing Instead of saying, you know, this or that, it's this and that, you know, it's a really cloudy day, but, you know, I got to go to work. Well, it's a really cloudy day and I'm still going to go to work, you know, Mm -hmm. starting to just practice that mindset shift of I can take those two black or white things and kind of make them a little gray. So like, again, it's like, it's a process and, and just Mm -hmm. that, that word starts that whole journey of like, let's get that brain thinking more flexible. Um, And then, you know, a whole lot of other stuff happens after that. Yeah. That's that's probably the the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because especially if you've been having this sort of behavior for many years, and I think many women have, I don't even know what the statistic is. It's more than 17 diets within a lifetime, but it's something, it's a huge number, the average number of diets. Oh my gosh. Well, I did the cabbage soup diet. That was my first. I remember it. I was 12. (laughs) All I did was pee. (laughs) So annoying. I remember when that Um, was a trend, the cabbage soup diet. Oh my God. I I was a teenager too. (laughs) Yep. I was 12. Yeah. Um, So it's really fun when my clients um, start practicing that and I'll see them Mm -hmm. go, la, 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 but... And, and then I'll get out my pom-pom and I'll start going. (laughs) So we'll celebrate when they start saying, and because it it really is a mindset shift. Um, And I do it too. Like I'm practicing Mm -hmm. that as well, because I'm helping myself do that mindset shift as well. It makes me wonder for anyone who wants to break free from some of this obsessive thinking, whether it's through exercise or through their way they, their relationship with food, can someone do this alone? I mean, we can do anything alone. Yeah. Or how hard is it to do alone? <laughs> I know I would probably need uh, some kind, either a therapist or some kind of counselor or guide. Yeah. I mean, I tried. Um, I have spent a lot of money, um, you know, uh, buying programs um, on the internet that I found trying to do it by myself. Um, And, you know, I'm a therapist and I tried to do it by myself. And then I realized, yeah, I think I need some help Um, because Mm -hmm. I was just basically talking myself out of it. I think that's what it was, is I kept saying, I know all this shit. I don't need, I I don't need that information. And then I would keep, I would keep repeating the same sabotaging. And so doing it by myself didn't work because I thought I knew everything. And so I actually realized that I didn't. And so finally, um, I had to put my ego aside and um, I found two uh, health coaches, shout out to Liz and Becca. Um, I found two health coaches and uh, they challenged me and I needed it because I was stubborn Um, and I didn't want to let go of that dark passenger. Like I referenced before that dark passenger Mm -hmm. and I had been dating you know, we had been in a relationship for 25 years. And as much as I hated that dark passenger, I also didn't really know what I would do without it because I had been clinging to it for so long that I really needed their help to let it go. And so Mm -hmm. that was, that was why I couldn't do it alone because I was actually resistant and I was just too, um, I was too stubborn to acknowledge the fact that I was actually being resistant. And so hiring those health coaches actually helped me um, because they challenged me and they asked me some really good questions of like, what are you going to do with all your free time when you're not thinking about dieting? And I, I panicked, like I literally panicked. I did not know how to answer that question. And I remember my heart racing because I was like, 
I don't I don't know what to do with all my time because I was spending so much time online looking at diets and reading articles about diets and diet pills and looking mm-hmm. at the newest thing on Noom. Oh, Noom has changed their formula. I wonder what they're doing now. Noom hasn't changed anything. And yet mm. I still clicked on Noom and I was just doing it out of habit at that point. Um, yeah. And so those health coaches really pushed me and I needed it. So I really appreciated their that push that I needed. Um, so yeah, sense. of course we can do it alone. And that's like people quitting smoking alone, which is right. Yeah. I needed that push because I'm stubborn. (laughs) So yeah, some people can, I needed that extra help. I think a lot of people need a lot of help. Uh, That, that makes sense. I was just thinking, even when you talk to, I was like, when I, if I talk to my therapist and discussing some emotional reaction that I always have that type of reaction, it's like, it's like, what, why am I doing that? What's the, even though it doesn't seem great, there's a reward to it or there is a reason. And like you said, for you, it somehow subconsciously, you realize that that's what you've been spending your time on. What would you do with your time? This gave you some kind of purpose in your everyday life to like be looking up things. It really did. Researching diets, trying to find a way. Yeah, it was twisted. So what would you suggest would be resources for someone to turn to if they want to break free from this kind of like yo-yo dieting, black and white, or even over-exercising mindset in in pursuit of this weight loss or whatever this perfection of perfection vision of ourselves that we think we want. Well, I would love to say that uh, I am a resource. <laughs> Of course you are. That's I mean, why, because you got the experience. <laughs> I have to plug myself. Of course. <laughs> I mean, in addition to amazing health coaches out there, I also have, uh, I mean, actually, because of um, my health coaches and because of them asking, what are you mm-hmm. going to do with all of your free time? Uh-huh. I actually cleared, <laughs> I cleared some free time and- I love it, yeah. um, and got uh, certified in intuitive eating um, over the pandemic. And so my my little joke that I tell everybody is that while my friends were day drinking and baking sourdough bread, I mm-hmm. was over here studying intuitive eating and actually weightlifting with you um, on Daily Burn. Oh, Daily Burn. And- <laughs> Everyone, that's how we know each other. <laughs> So instead of day drinking, I turned to intuitive eating and daily burn um, and found my re revisited my love of fitness. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I actually cleared out some space in my brain um, to get. Oh, into so this is actually eating. quite recent. This yeah, the intuitive eating is yeah yeah because yeah. I realized I needed to get my brain together because like I said, I had been doing this forever, and so in 2020 I got certified in intuitive eating because I was like, this is it. I'm done with mm-hmm. this. Like it was a hamster wheel for me. Um, and so how long I were you a therapist? To... Pri- You've always been a therapist. So how long were oh. you practicing before this kind of switch in focus? Yeah, I've been a therapist for my diploma says since 2003, because I can't uh-huh. remember. <laughs> I've been a therapist. Uh, I got licensed for in 20 2007. years. Yes. Yeah, so okay. I've been a therapist for 20 years. Um, yeah. Licensed since 2007. So I've been a therapist uh-huh. forever. And then I just yeah. got, um, I added the intuitive eating certification um, in, two, in 2020. Um, and so I've been uh, doing um, eating disorder type stuff Mm -hmm. in my therapy world. And then I decided to add, um, to kind of segue, well, um, sort of kind of split off and do coaching on the side. Um, and so, uh, back to your question. Um, so, so I do offer, I have a self-study course on my website and I also am just announcing that I have created, um, a membership 
program on my website where people can join in um, on a monthly basis. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. a little like a little membership hub where um, on a monthly basis, you know, I give out information and lessons and videos and guides um, and people can stay as long as they want and get as much information as they want, stay as long as they want, leave whenever they want, or Mm -hmm. they can do the self-study course, which is more um, of a 12 lesson um, um, because there are 10 principles of intuitive eating. And Mm -hmm. so I break down the 10 principles of intuitive eating and then have a couple of other lessons in there in that 12 lesson self-study guide if people just want to kind of do the lesson on their own or I have the membership. Um, where people can kind of be more in a community and kind of learn intuitive eating, mindset mm-hmm. shifts, healthy habits, all of that stuff. Over. It's a catchword, intuitive eating. Can you actually describe what it, what it is for for people who might not know and and yeah. how it's maybe different than some of the other ways of thinking about food? Yeah, intuitive eating is is really listening to your body's um, innate hunger and fullness cues. And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like if you watch a toddler eat, like, and that's kind of how I discovered it as I was watching my kid eat. And he literally took two bites out of a cupcake and then put it down because he was done. And I was like, how did you do that? Because my husband and I will just devour the whole thing and not even be hungry when we did it. Um, And intuitive eating is listening to your body's hunger and fullness cues. It's not the hunger and fullness diet. So I want to make sure that Mm -hmm. I I spell that out. Um, So it's not that. It's it's listening to your body's internal um, hunger signals and and listening to that. And there's like an actual, um, there's an actual scale that you can, you can look at that. Uh, that we Uh have, and I have on my website too, that you can kind of see, you know, engage, you know, how hungry am I? And then how full am I? Um, Uh So listening to those cues, and then also learning um, how to, how to kind of honor your body with, you know, exercise, how to cope with your emotions, um, Mm -hmm. with things other than just using food, um, And then how to also kind of um, basically listen to your internal cues as opposed to external cues. So external cues is what we would call anything like diet, culture, or any Mm -hmm. other external forces. Intuitive eating is obviously listening to your internal cues. Um, Mm -hmm. And the only problem I have real quick is that it gets... It gets mislabeled when you see all of these um, people advertising intuitive eating when they have these very thin white uh, women advertising uh, intuitive eating and they pose with either a big donut that they're pretending to take a bite out of that they never Uh actually eat or Uh they're posing with some huge pizza that they never actually eat and they say this is intuitive eating and so people always get this idea is that intuitive eating is like you're going off the rails yeah right and you're eating whatever you feel like eating and you're just gonna go haywire and that's not it and so part of my mission is like I really want to clear up the confusion of like what actual intuitive eating is because I think I think people have started to like, for lack of a better word, kind of bastardize um, what intuitive eating is. And yeah. um, even even the fat activists and anti-diet folks have like taken it and kind of messed it all up and mm-hmm. and it's starting to get a little um, a little muddied. The waters are getting a little muddied. Um, that is a conversation for another day um, okay. about what 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 anti-diet people are doing. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people get confused when they see like donuts and pizza being advertised yeah. for intuitive eating. And they're like, where are the vegetables? And and I think they're trying to confused. probably counter the whole the they're trying to distinguish themselves from the exactly. whole black and white. Black and exactly. white um, 
mindset. A little slightly off topic, but two questions that had come in through my social media. Uh, And I guess related to intuitive eating, uh, sometimes in perimenopause, there's a lot of anxiety comes up because of hormones or, you know, whatever is that's hormones drive all these different actions within our body. So how does one overcome stress or emotional eating when anxiety hits during perimenopause or maybe some suggestions? I know it's a big, that's a big topic. Well, it is. And one of the things I try to remind people is that emotional eating is not the end of the world. Because Mm. if you think about it, all eating is emotional. Um, And so I kind of want to explain that because, again, back to my clinical training um, Mm -hmm. in in cognitive behavioral therapy, we have um, we have a thought that leads to an emotion that leads to an action. That's in our CBT training, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so if you really think about it, all eating comes from some emotion, right? So like if I'm happy and I'm at a birthday party and I'm eating, well, that comes from an emotion. If I'm sad and I'm eating, well, that comes from an emotion. And so all eating kind of is emotional. And so for some reason, emotional eating has gotten demonized. And so we actually don't have to demonize emotional eating. And so I wanted to make sure I said that first. So first of all, emotional eating is not the end of the world. So I wanted to say that first. Mm -hmm. And then having said that, Um, We also want to help people realize that we just don't want eating to be our go-to coping strategy. It can be one of many. We just don't want Mm -hmm. it to be our go-to. So um, Mm -hmm. even in the kind of therapy that I do with DBT, like we even look at like alcohol as a coping skill. We just don't want people to make alcohol your go-to coping skill. We kind of want to water it down. And so with food, it's the same thing. If you use food or sleep or alcohol as a coping skill, that's fine. We just don't want it to be the only coping skill. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things we try to do is to help people create what we would call like a toolkit of a whole lot of coping skills. And so um, therefore, food is just one of many. And so it just doesn't become like the one that you choose. And so um, it can be one and so can walking and so can taking a shower, so can calling a friend. And so therefore... Um, if someone is stressed, well, maybe I won't reach for food. Maybe I'll take a yoga class or maybe I'll call somebody or maybe I'll go sit in the sun or maybe I'll, I'll have some tea or maybe I'll have some soup or maybe I'll have some cake, you know, like it could be one of many. It just doesn't have to be like your go-to coping skill. So again, like not demonizing emotional eating first and then kind of watering it down so it doesn't become your go-to coping skill. Those are kind of like my strategies. And I see what you're saying because then by demonizing it, it becomes black and white thinking. Being like emotional eating is bad and then that's what you (gasps) want to turn to because that's- Yes. Yeah. Then I'm horrible because I did it and we don't yeah. have to demonize it because it's just one, it's just a way of coping. And right. so are many of other ways. So let's just add to your toolkit and give I you love that. lots of ways of coping. So we do like the add have- in approach as right. opposed to like the takeaway, which I think you probably do in fitness, right? Like just add in stuff. Yes. I, I like yeah. that, but it's the, it, it's improv you know, the idea and improv, it's, ah, yeah. not, it's yes and. <laughs> yes, yes, I love yes, that. And. That's right. Yeah. And the final question came from someone is, how does one tune down the almond moms who believe in diet culture norms? So I think she just is referring to a pop culture term where probably came from some show where mom was like, just eat a handful of almonds very slowly. But the question probably more reflects diet cultures all around us? How does one mm. tune, da- tune down all the messaging that we get? It is a daily struggle. 
and because it's a daily struggle, I think it's like a daily battle. And so like, um, I did a video on how to break up with diet culture and I kind of gave like a whole bunch of ways. Um, and so some of the suggestions I, I gave were like cleaning up your social media feed, for example, like trying to change the algorithm. Um, like one of the first things I think in the intuitive eating book they say is like clean up your social media feed. So like report all of like the Noom ads and the Almond Mom ads and like any of those mm -hmm. Fitspo, whatever ads that you don't want to see anymore, you know, report them, delete them or whatever it is to like change the algorithm and yeah. then start following, you know, the people that you do want to see. And then of course, that they'll still like enter back in. And so of course, when you see them, take them back out. Um, yeah. And then that's one way. Um, and just try and like surround yourself on multiple angles. And so like when it comes to your family, for example, um, trying to like steer the conversation or change the um, change the conversation. Um, I know with um, with intuitive eating, the person, one of the dietitians that created intuitive eating um, around the holidays, she posts um, a holiday, a holiday bill of rights, um, an intuitive eater holiday bill of rights that kind of reminds people around the holidays of like, you know, you're allowed to like you're allowed to like refuse a second helping or you're allowed to have a second helping if you want. You know, you're allowed to have pumpkin pie for breakfast or not if you want. Like you're allowed to, you know, say no to grandma, even if she's, you know, saying I spent all day in the kitchen making this meal. You're allowed to say no, thank you, grandma. You know, so mm -hmm. kind of like reminding you, like you can say no to people, um, you know, learning clever ways to tell people like, hey, can we can we shift the conversation about this? I'm kind of talk I'm kind of tired of talking about bodies and dieting. Um, so kind of trying to find ways to basically shield yourself from it as much as possible. Yeah. Less I know exposure. that is easier said than done. Right. I mean, it, again, it's everywhere. Um, and the more that we can do to protect ourselves, the better. Um, yeah. And yet, wherever we go, it's still going to be there. So just it's trying true. to do that. And then um, affirmations, you know, I use affirmations um, with myself. Um, I have, you know, little notes to myself in certain places to just remind myself of my value and my worth. So even when I see those negative messages out there, I yeah. counter them by giving myself those positive messages to try to, you know, negate those negative messages. And then just know that it is, it's going to be difficult and just have lots of support, lots of support. I love it. And your friends are probably the best part, people with like minds. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like-minded people that will lift you up, not tear you down. Exactly. Amparo, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your experiences. I'll have all of Amparo's information down in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find me on my website, ironstrongfitness.net, or follow me on Instagram at ironstrongfit. See you at the next episode.